Welcome to Vino Week, episode 29, brought to you by Vino 101. All right, welcome to Vino Week. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. It's Al. Bill and I, we're ready to talk about wine. Yeah, we are. Um, we had a kind of a nice week this week, huh? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we're, we're commenting on how busy it was, but it was busy good. Yeah. Busy good. We got to go to, um, well, we've been tasting a lot of wine, let's just say that. Yeah. And we, Trying to find some wines for you folks. Yeah. we. I mean, we did, we went to the, it's the Zinfandel 25th? 25th anniversary, so, yeah. The Zinfandel yeah. Advocates and Producers, ZAP, 25th anniversary. Um, we, um, it's just been really, uh, a really nice event that they put on as sort of their, um, you know, I think it was called the Zinfandel Experience 25-year party. Or, so we uh, got to do the tasting and then go to that. It's always nice when people are, you know, showing you their, their wines and you're getting some nice food. So we're very, we're very lucky in that manner. Yeah, thanks to, um, to the people that invited us. I'm still kind of uh, still reeling from the, the Roos Chris <laughs> lamb chops. Yeah, <laughs> God, those were just incredible. It, it was, yeah. And then to turn around and have the uh, uh, prosciutto <laughs> being shaved. Yeah, yeah. That live, never live prosciutto shaving. Big line. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that the guy came around while we were waiting in line to get to the table. He goes, "Here's, here's a little preview." It's like, thank you. Mound of mound of prosciutto while you wait. <laughs> like they knew, they do, they knew what was going on. Yeah, so and uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, earlier in the week, I went to the uh, Washington State producers. They showed up in town also, and uh, they did a tasting at the at the Metreon. And uh, boy, I learned a lot. And uh, stay tuned. In the future, we'll be talking some Washington wine because there's some some great wines up there and some great values. And I already always knew that, but um, now it's uh, I have to put a little bit more focus in that area. Learned a lot, and they had a, a, a great um, a great spread of food. So it's a, you know a lot of these tastings now. What they do is they make sure the food is a, a really big part of it, and uh, it's great because you can go get something, and then you can you have your wine, and you can try it with the food, which is you know the best way to do it, and it gives you a little a different perspective versus going to a tasting and they're just pouring you wine after wine, and you got say just a loaf of bread or something. Yes, very. It adds a completely different dimension. So. <clears throat> And, you know, depending on how you want to taste or try it, you can really start to, I, I, for me personally, it just helps understand the wines better. Um, you know, like you say, I'm, you know, you're not moving from table to table and, you know, putting it in your mouth and, you know, trying to, you know, trying to make a call on whether or not you're, you think, you know, what you think about the wine. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, it's, it's always nice to have that, you know, the food. And of course, you know, that. You know, San Francisco is a culinary capital in the world. Um, you know, so there's you know there's people that it's the business, right? So they work hard at doing this stuff. So it's really um, it, it's special to be able to be a part of these things. It is, you know, and the level of concentration that's required to actually you know get the nuances that that are in the glass and in the wine is I'm not as good as I should be at it. <laughs> It's just, well, I just, it's pretty, it's pretty overwhelming. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> you know, new to all of this in, in some respects. People have, you know, I, I mean, we encounter people, right, that have been doing this for decades. Right. And, you know, having, you know, come new to it, it it's, um, you know, we joke a lot of time that, hey, it's work, but it, it, you know, to do it well, it is work. I mean, you have to concentrate, you have to train, you do have to most people have to have some training to make the connection between what they're tasting and what that taste is and the smell and what that smell is. So said in a more concise way, you have to train your palate. It's not a joke. Um, and so, you know, being, and there are people who are, you know, obviously more gifted than others just genetically in terms of being able to, you know, pick out flavors and aromas and those types of things. But you have to marry all of that information on what's going on in the glass. So as you're ripping through, you know, you know, a hundred wines or 200 wines, I mean, it's a lot, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tiring. And then, you know, and, and a lot, for a lot of these wineries, there are a small group of people that are tastemakers 
who determine whether or not their wine is going to be, um, it effectively, it, it makes a material outcome on the winery. So, you know, on the other side of the table, these people have to be, you know, gracious for hours at a time, pouring wine, you know, um, you know, basically doing PR outreach. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, those, I'm, I'm, uh, those events are always intense. Yeah. The, well, the Zen one, boy, I, I mean, it was, there's a lot of shoulder rubbing in that one, man. That was tight in there. Yeah. Right. But I found that for all of them that we've went to, right. That, you know, um, I mean, we're fortunate enough that we can get in sometimes as part of the media and get in a little earlier, but man, when the, you know, there's definitely demand for this stuff because when the public rolls in, it's like, wow, it's packed. Yeah, so we, we always end up uh, doing like a, a, a mad run to get in as many as we can. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's really, uh, um, well, I'll just say it this way. If you have an opportunity, if one of, you know, it's a, it's so first of all, one of the things that you'll learn really rapidly if you get to go to these things is it, it, it's a great way to learn. You get to try a bunch of different stuff in a, um, that, and oftentimes stuff that you may not, you know, you, you, uh, you may not have the opportunity to try. And then you find, you know, um, you know, there were some, you know, oftentimes a winery will bring, will bring something special to these tastings. And, and so at the zap, at the zap festival, for example, there were, wines who were almost 30 years old right oh boy yeah um, there was some really impressive uh, bottlings that we got to try so i mean you, you know and you're just like you know uh you know the access to those things if they're even available are probably out of the majority of the people uh, pri- majority of people's price range so just being able to try that stuff really helps your understanding i mean when you get to try a wine that's been put down that long it's pretty uh it's really cool um, especially when they have its current modern predecessor right next to it. So yeah, nothing like talking about the wine with Joel Peterson. You know, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're meeting of oh, the winery. Oh, Ravenswood. Oh, it's Joel Peterson. Yeah, oh, Joel okay. Peterson. It was Ken Rosenblum was there. Um, uh, Mr. Turley was there, and you know these people are. I mean, we saw. Is it Joe Turley? Um, I don't. Uh, Larry. Larry Turley. Yeah, we saw Larry get out of his car. Tell that story real quick. <laughs> I want. I mean, we were kind of waiting for to to go into the event, and and he pulled up and started hauling cases out of his car and putting it on the front of this building, and we were just kind of hanging out, and started talking to him, and he's like, "We watch my wine," and he looked like he had just come from work. I mean, he had his, you know, he had his, you know, like vineyard wear on. So, you know, it was his work clothes on. So he's a farmer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being able to connect with folks like that and these guys travel regionally too, you know, I mean, travel around the United States where you could get to them regionally. So if you're definitely a fan of a varietal or, a um, a particular region and somebody's, um, having a tasting that you can get to, I can't recommend it highly enough. Even though, you know, these things aren't like overpriced, you're not paying like five, six hundred dollars to get into them or probably, you know, probably less than a hundred oftentimes. And they're well worth your money if you're yeah, a it's, it's, You know, if you're looking to be educated and learn a lot, there's no, there's, it's one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. And, and these people will spend time with you if you engage them. They want to impart the information they have. And they all, the other thing that I found is they all have stories. All yes. of them. They all there's there's a there's an interesting story behind all these people. So um, anyway, enough about uh, enough about the wine tasting. It's but it is the season, so um, we'll be doing more on this stuff. A little bit of sad news this week. Um, uh, you know, Peter Mondavi passed away. So he's sort of the other half of the Mondavi. Um, uh, I, kind of taking the torch and really making Madavi into the brand that it is. And of course, Peter was, you know, pretty strictly focused on Charles Krug and kind of spent more than a half a century working on that winery. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, you know, I've, I've met him several times and I've probably relayed that on several podcasts. So I won't go into that, but 
um, just uh, like a maverick in the wine business. And, uh, you know, he was really proud of the fact that he got to keep his winery in the family. That was one of the things that he was just most most proud of, that he was able to pass it on to his heirs and it stayed in the family hands. And uh, as you know, his brother, you know, wasn't able to do that with with the property that he had he had going. But um, that was one of his biggest things. He, uh, you know, it's interesting how the Mandavis uh, got started in the wine business. You know, they they really got started in the wine business back in the the early 1900s. Right. And his dad, I don't know if this is in the article, but I just just from reading, I just happen to know. His dad was owned a saloon uh, back east. I think it was like, I want to say in like Minnesota, as, as I recall. But uh, he uh, is, he, you know, this is starting around, you know, prohibition time, right? Yeah. So what he did was he, he started a business after he had that saloon. He, he opened up a grocery store. And uh, one of the main products that they brought in was grapes from California. And, um, they brought the grapes in back east and people could make their wine. I think you had like you could make like, I don't know, like 100 gallons or something you were allowed to make. So during Pro- Prohibition, when you couldn't buy wine, you were allowed to make wine. You know, individual could make it. So that's really how they got started in their business. And they had a bunch of um, uh, that's the early part of the business. Anyway, they, they, they forged a bunch of relationships with uh, growers and they were shipping grapes from the West Coast to the East Coast. And. Eventually, they ended up moving out here, you know, just through all their connections. And that's kind of how they got started in the business. And uh, he's uh, the, the guy was he was really about keeping everything together. If you go to that winery, they still have the one of the original uh, buildings or actually several of them that were built back in the 1800s, you know, the mid 1800s. They still have those buildings on the property and they're they're uh, they're registered with the the National Historic Registry here in California. So it's really an interesting place to go visit and to just, you know, the, you're, you're literally you're walking through the halls of history when you go there. Yeah. 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 And, and it, you know, and, and he was an innovator. Yeah. You know, uh, from, from his, uh, you know, from coal fermentation to, you know, biodynamic and organic, um, you know, trying to grow naturally as possible. And then, you know, as you said, keeping the, you know, keeping the, uh, the winery together. I mean, it, it, uh, I think one of the great, you know, I think one of the, uh, farm, I, I don't know, I know farming is a family business and, you know, it's good to see that it's still continuing. I mean, the article that we, that we'll link to, you know, talks about, you know, Peter's sons are in the business and they're, you know, his grandchildren are waiting in the wing. It's also great to, uh, you know, it gives me hope, (laughs) you know, he's 101. He made it to 101 and he was out when he was 97 at the winery's 150th anniversary. Um, you know, still, you know, still kicking sort of thing. He was literally working up until like the last, say, I want to say like the last year and a half. He was yeah. he was working in well into his late nineties, and when I mean working, he was at, he went to work every day. Yep, <laughs> it's not like he wasn't like uh, you know he went to the winery, dude. I mean, he had to drive very far. He was on the property, but still. Yeah, well, I mean, they talk about him climbing these two flights of stairs, and I've heard about this before. Um, to get to his office, um, you know, there's even a line in the, in the story here that talks about Nike executives who, you know, who came and saw this guy and they're like, you know, what's the secret? He's like, you know, it's living a good life and drinking great wine is, is his quote. So, you know, it, uh, it, it's definitely sad to see the, these kind of people pass, but at the same time, it, uh, um, you know, it, it, inspirational, um, yeah. you know, to think of, uh, yeah, you know, I'm tired and I feel like I'm getting old. It's like, nah, not really. I'm going to work. Yeah. I need to get to work. The 97 year old man's crushing me, crush me. So uh, I'm, shooting, I'm shooting for a hundred man. So yeah, we'll heck yeah. And, and then, you know, Charles Krug, you know, legendary American wine. And, you know, that's, that 
in and of itself is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that's so, uh, yeah, it's a great it's a great story all the way around. So uh, cheers to to the Mondavi family yeah. and uh, and uh, sorry, thanks for all the know, great wines and the great times, so to speak. Yeah, sorry for your loss and don't lose that legacy. Um, it, the B goes on, my friend. So speaking of something that um, uh, Peter might really enjoy or attest to, tonight is the um, Open the Bottle Night. And so, Al, what's Open the Bottle? What does that mean? Uh, open I the that, Bottle is I do that uh, often that, and frequently. <laughs> open the Bottle? Well, you don't know what that means, Bill? I, <laughs> I, should, say, I should say OTBN. What does that mean? There we go. <laughs> um it's uh, something that was coined by uh, uh, Dorothy Gator, and I, I think probably also I think her husband. They they had a a Wall Street Journal um, uh, used to write a column. column about wine, and uh, they coined it back in uh, 1999. Yeah, and uh, basically, you know, the the premise behind it is that we all have these bottles that we have a, a special attachment to that we have stored somewhere and we can never, ever, ever seem to find the right occasion for that bottle. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> so that's what she's, that's, that's how it uh, came about. It's like, you know, why are we waiting? You know, you're waiting for a time that seems oftentimes it seems like it never comes. And the truth of the matter is, you know, most wine, you know, isn't really going to improve a whole bunch. I mean, the vast majority of wine, yeah, it's meant to be consumed with, within a, a fairly short window of time. So if you're holding on to it for years and years, especially if it's not stored in the right conditions, you know, you're probably just ruining it. So they coined this OTB uh, open the bottle night and uh, it's a good article. And uh, she talks about some of the bottles that they've opened up over the past. And uh, I've picked a bottle that I'm going to open up tonight. And, uh, you know, I, I went down and, you know, usually you go to the same spot when you're picking your wines or whatever, and you kind of get stuck in a groove doing these. Tonight, tonight we're doing Barolo, Bill. Oh, nice. So I'm, we're opening up a, a Paolo Conterno um, 2006 Barolo, a Riva del Brick. Nice. I'll let you know how it is. Thank and you. uh, you'll never guess what I'm having it with. You'd think I'd be cooking something, but I have this incredible craving for the Lavera Calzone. Perfect. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing takeout. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to well, pick up pick up a Calzone. Well, I, I was going to, so you said Barolo, and my first thing is like, I wonder what he's going to eat with that. <laughs> but you know, a Calzone's like a, it's like a perfect thing to have with Barolo. You know, Calzone's substantial. <laughs> it is. And so is that wine. So I would imagine they pair perfectly. Yeah, I mean, it's probably, I'm, I'm certainly probably opening it a little bit. Uh, it's probably too young, but hey. Oh, well, you know, it's OTBN. That's right. I'm just going to, I'm going to decant it and I'll open it up and give it a couple hours to breathe. And then, uh, you know, there we go. We'll report back later on that. What are you guys opening up? Uh, you know, we haven't, I, I have no plans. I wasn't even really uh, conscious about this. So, um, but uh, I, if I have to guess, it will probably be a nice Pinot. <laughs> now you know. So, yeah. hey, uh, everybody, uh, hit us up and, and let us know what you're having on the, on the Twitter feed, if you would. That'd be great to see what people are having tonight. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's a great idea. Um, yeah, so, so get a good So, uh, and especially with the, the new age people, you know, of course, everybody's on Twitter, right? Everybody does that, right, Bill? Most people. You know, those, you know how those millennials are. Most people do. Yes, on to the millennials. So we've got an, an, an article um, uh, about how millennials made uh, 2015. Uh, the article will post, uh, I think this is from the Wine Market Council's research conference. There's a presentation. They, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've been hearing for a long time, for like five years plus, about how millennials are going to be this big game-changing um demographic group in the wine business and wow the stats in this article are pretty impressive um they accounted for 42 percent of the wine consumption last year um that's pretty significant uh 159 million cases move over boomers 
Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things that bodes well for wineries is that they're um, they're not they're not locked into a varietal or a particular style or type of wine. They're pretty adventurous in terms of their drinking and what they'll try. So I think there's a lot of um, it's interesting when we go to these tastings now. And we start to engage in people in the industry. There, if there's any any mention of millennials that you have access to a millennial or the millennials themselves, there's a lot of like there's an immediate attention or perk up. So definitely, it definitely seems like the connection's been made that um, you know I you know you should pay attention to this group, which I think is very you know if you you know if this plays out that this group continues this type of engagement with with the the business, of course it will likely be passed on. So, you know, it, it, it really, it really, it, you know, the, it, it really is sort of, you could see how it could be a pretty significant game changer in terms of, of um, the American wine business. Well, you know, it's common sense when you think about it. I wonder what the numbers are, though, versus, say, the baby, baby boomer, um, the number of boomers. You know, that's got to be a significant number of people. I wonder, you know, what the ratio is, number of boomers versus number of millennials. I mean, do you have any idea what that would be? I don't. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, boomers aren't going anywhere for quite some time, I guess is my point. Although eventually they're going to be going somewhere yeah. <laughs> to the land of the promise. But, you know, they've got a good 20 year probably. I mean, what's the life expectancy these days is, you know, it's close to the 80s. Yeah. So you've got people that are going to be living for another 20, 30 years that are that are boomers. Right. So I would also I I also be interesting to know is that people as people retire, you know what that does. But when you think about it from the perspective of the boomers, you know. Uh, you know, these people are just starting and they're working in the working world. So, you know, what they can afford right now will be radically different in 10 years. Yes. Um, it could, I, I mean, it could really uh, bode well for the, for the wine business. Um, you know, I, like for example, when we were, you know, we, we saw, I, I've been seeing a lot of rosés, right? And the winemakers, and this is anecdotal, it's by no, by no means any kind of like, data that we have the winemakers light up when you start asking them about the rosé and you know it's it, and the heart of the, the heart of it that i well at least what i think um the heart of it is for them is it's a wine that they can experiment with it's something different that they do um it's similar to a lot of the um red blends that you might see um from winemakers it's it you know they have their sort of like varietals that they have to crank out depending on where their you know where their winery wineries at you know be it a pinot or a cab or um <clears throat> whatever but you know in the wines that they get to experiment with a, a little more have a little more freedom you know they real that's really where their passion is so they now have a I, they now have a um a market that will consume those wines in ways that they haven't been for. So I think it's driving some pretty, it's going to drive some pretty interesting things. I think that would be my, that would be my hypothesis. It'll be interesting to see if it plays out. And yeah, we're all, we're all guessing at this point, but like you said, there's definitely a lot of, there's been a lot of articles. I mean, a whole bunch of articles about how millennials are going to be driving, uh, the wine market. And, you know, you know, there's definitely been in the press a whole bunch. Yeah. So, well, um, and I, you know, you hear it in the press and I'm like, is this is a bunch of hype. Like what's driving this? But when I see this, I mean, these guys have numbers. So, um, you know, they're, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. So now, we'll definitely, we'll definitely post a link to that. Yeah. Now the millennials themselves as a group, they, they do have plenty to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. So there's a, um, they're, some of uh, them, some of them have plenty of learning. <laughs> so you know, so we live in sort of the tech. You know that we live in the the capital of technology here. Um, for those who are offshore that that listen to us um, that may not know about this service, but there's a uh, a website and an app called Yelp.com. It's where people can go rate things. There's a young woman who worked for Yelp who got uh, who, who was who wrote an article dealing about how hard it is to work for this 
you know, company that's making all this money Yelp and she's not getting paid enough to live and kind of, I read it, she posted this letter to their CEO on another, um, another app, another service called Medium Oops. and, and, you know, basically laid blame for her struggle, um, at the feet of, of the company, you know, she didn't have enough money for rent and, you know, it costs so much to live here and it does, it costs a ton <clears throat> of money to live here. Um, what I, in her letter and she was subsequently, um, let go after the letter, um, kind of ignited a firestorm about, uh, it's ultimately it's about the cost of living here. Um, but what I find funny is it, it's almost like an, an, a generation skipped the sort of like, you are responsible for yourself. <laughs> yes. You can't make ends meet. That is not the company you work for's problem. That is your problem. And I yeah. figured out, well, I, you know, I, I just have to wonder, you know, so she's sitting answering phone calls. She was a support person or, you know, responding to emails or social media. Um, you know, did she talk to the, the people who are cleaning their, their office? I bet you those people have two or three jobs. Um, and they're exactly. struggling to make ends meet. They're probably living with two or three families in a home. You know, the entitlement, the entitlement, there's definitely a thread of entitlement in that, in that demographic group. I'm not saying everyone, but I mean, just this kind of thing. There's also been a lot of rebuttals to this woman's article, um, you know, kind of making the same point. So it's good that there are other millennials saying, Hey, look, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay your dues. I know CEOs, I know a couple CEOs, uh, of tech companies and they're, you know, they're, that they're, they're, their commentary is sort of the same thing. These people don't want to do any of this. You know, I, why do I, why, you know, I went, I went to college. I got this really awesome degree from this great school. Why do I have to do this sort of, um, what they see as uh, work that is not uh, meaningful to them. It's demeaning to them. Um, which I just, I, I don't know that didn't enter my, I, that my expectations were set that I was going to have to do that to get anywhere. Yeah. You just, it wasn't even, it's just a given. This is how you do it, man. You started the bottom, you work your way up, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and more, and more to the point, that was a blueprint for success. Yeah. If, if you, if you want to move up the food chain, you got to understand the, the basics, not any different than a winery. You go to a lot of these wineries, I'll bet you all of the, you know, the Mandavi kids will probably, um, and I don't know this for a fact, but you know, they'll, they'll all detail some pain that they might have had, you know, working in the business, be it out in the vineyard at five in the morning, uh, trimming vines, being up all night, um, picking grapes, being full of, you know, being wet all the time from being in the, you know, being on the crush pad or being in the barrel room or, you know, making wine. Um, you know, every, everybody, I don't know. I, I think it's completely unrealistic to think that you're, uh, not going to encounter, some challenges and who in the hell wants to live without a few challenges in their life. And then the, the second thing is, is like, look, you can't afford your rent. That's not the company you work for is problem. That's your problem. Yeah. Get a roommate. Right? Yeah, do something. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny. Well, there's this, there's so many layers to this article, but it's, it's, it's written by Stephanie Williams and she's a, she's a freelance writer. Um, and I studied at the University of Maryland, and she details her. She basically details what she had to go through after she got out of college. Yeah, and she's uh, you know, so it's her last five years and what's happened to her and what she had to do, and and she worked at a, you know, she had a, a pretty uh, a cush job, uh, and uh, she got let go uh, right before the meltdown in two thousand seven. I believe that's. Yeah, I think that's her story. Yeah, and uh, you know she didn't have a job, and she went into a bar, and she's complaining to somebody that she knew in the bar that her family knew, and he brought out the general manager a little bit later and said, you know, you can you can host us here a couple of days a week, and she swallowed her pride and said, okay, I will, and uh, you know she just kept going from there. Yeah, and uh, the 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 whole thing is, uh, you know. It, it seems like, you know, she's kind of talking about herself, but in the end she turns it around and she talks 
about this young lady. And she says, look, I'd be with you and I would be sympathetic to you if you said, I've been doing this to cut down my costs. I brought on some roommates, blah, blah, blah. But all you're doing is like looking for a handout from people. <laughs> it's like it doesn't work that There's way. There's some great lines. Poverty, you live in the Bay Area and you have a corporate <laughs> job and you have fancy bourbon. It's not. This is not a third world crisis. Yeah, yeah. There are some great stuff in there. She said, "Like she says, work work ethic is not something that develops from entitlement. Quite the opposite. In fact, it develops when you realize there are millions of other people who could f- perform your job, and you're lucky to have one." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that was you know. So that was the um, yeah. That was the point of view I was raised with. You know, and I think that you know some of this might be. Um, you know, the the millennials are a generation or two removed from, you know, family memories of the American, of the Great Depression in the 30s. Um, you know, my parents were children of adults who were alive during that time. And, you know, my parents to this day are, you better, you know, whatever you do, do not jeopardize your job and your income. <laughs> you know? Yep. It's just like you better be working, you know, nose to the grindstone. Like that ethic was just ingrained because, you know, things could get really bad. And, you know, really bad is not, you know, being able to, you know, work, you know, be really bad. It's really bad when you don't have a job. Yeah, we, we've had, I mean, in, in the environment where I work, I've, I've seen guys, I've seen people come on the job and work and they're like, well, you know, you could, they're in a training process and someone in management, middle management could, could say something to them, you know, maybe in a, a curt fashion and, and, and direct. And they'd take it on the chin and they wouldn't come into work the next day. <laughs> it's like, that's your boss telling you how it is. You, you, you know, you have to just suck it up, man. Yeah, and uh, people will leave. They'll like leave. They'll just stop working. Yeah, because somebody said something to them. Yeah, and it's not. <laughs> it's not like, hey, you know, your shirt's bad. Yeah, it's, it's constructive. Like, yeah, it's like your this performance is, how we is behind. This is what <laughs> You're failing. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's funny. It's funny. so we should move on because we. I could really. <laughs> oh, I could rant. I could rant for an hour on this. With my children right here. Um, you uh, anyway. So I, I'll make a uh, a very snarky segue here uh, to from the article about the um, uh, about the the entitled millennial to Ridge Vineyards looks like they're in trouble for deplorable housing. So you know we can say the snarky millennial can come up here and get some bad housing for probably really good pricing. Um, well, it's like I always say to people, you know, when you walk through the grocery store, you walk in through the produce aisle, you know, that that produce that's there, it doesn't just like jump out of the out of the orchard or, or out of the field and into the package and on the shelves. There's a lot of people that touch it along the way. And most of those people that touch it along the way probably aren't making what someone would make working at Yelp. Oh no. And and I mean let's talk about the conditions. I mean most of the most of the most of the people that I'm surrounded by wouldn't last two hours in a, in uh, you know, like working on a farm. Yes. Um, you know, if they could, yeah, they wouldn't make it. No. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, you know, you think about blazing heat in the central Valley and like bending down and picking, th- picking things or picking through things. Oh, um, it, it's a hostile work environment. So, one of the interesting, so one of the, uh, one of the interesting things about Sonoma County that I've been told by people who are in the business is that its labor supply is actually pretty pretty stable um, in terms of people who like work in the vineyards and work in agriculture. One of the reasons is is there's housing for them. A lot of their um, a lot of a lot of uh, vineyard management companies or uh, wineries or uh, farms will provide housing or some type of shelter for, um, uh, for their workers. And I, I'm not really sure, uh, honestly, what the, what the transaction looks like or it's part of their, you know, if they have to pay for it or if it's part of their, 
you know, it's part of their, uh, uh, you know, their deal with the, their deal with the business that they work for. But, um, a, a big, a big farm labor contractor was fine. Uh, not a lot of money in my opinion, 42 K, um, $42,000 by federal regulators for a really bad, um, housing, what they call deplorable housing conditions. Um, well, the, the, the reason that they have these housing, the reason that they have the housing like that is, you know, 20 years ago, say 25 years ago, you know, a lot of grape harvesting in this area and in Napa, it was, it was transitory. People would, would migrate around, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, you know, people would migrate around with grapes crumbs. of wrath, grapes of wrath are sort of, you know, yeah. kind of a so in order. And, and there's nothing wrong with that on its face, but what happens is that you have a less reliable workforce and you also have people that are going to be, you know, if you have the same people working a plot of land, they're going to get to know the land and they're going to have more of a connection with the land. So that's part of the reason why this housing thing became. So a lot of the bigger operations, the bigger vineyard operations, you know, for continuity with their, with their, their workforce, they, they provide housing. Uh, the problem is in this case is the housing is not that great. Now to be fair to Ridge Vineyards, Ridge Vineyards probably, they probably don't know much about what's going on here. I mean, they're, they're like concerned about their vineyards and they've employed a management company to provide the workers. So the management company is probably more at, you know, if you're going to assign blame, it's probably more at fault here. But since, you know, they're a, a subcontractor for Ridge Vineyards, you know, the two are tied together. Yeah, I, I want you know, to make that clear. Yeah, I, yeah, that being said, you know, quite frankly, you're responsible for your supply chain. Um, you know, if you're hiring third party contractors to do work on your behalf, you're still responsible. So, um, you yeah, know, that's they, what they're paying the fine. Yeah, well, you know, Ridge, to Ridge's credit, you know, it's stated right here in the article, they're taking full responsibility and they're making, you know, they're taking action, um, at least according to this article. Um, <clears throat> they've also hired, you know, they've hired experts to make sure that the, the housing meets the regulations. You know, quite frankly, uh, you know, it's bad business not to take care of your people. Yeah. And if you're providing facilities for them to live in and to work on uh, and to work, you know, on your land to harvest your, you know, your key, your key good that you make, you know, the key ingredient of the good you make, you know, the better you take care of those people, the better, you know, results you're going to, you're going to get. So, um, and ultimately you're, you know, you're, you're responsible. So, um, you know, good, you know, I read an article like this and the system's kind of working. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's, there's a weak link in their chain and, you know, they're definitely going to address it and, you know, they're going to, they're probably overcompensate. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and great. That's great. And that's a good thing. Yeah. It's all good. So, um, just, you know, when you crack that bottle of wine, just remember there was somebody literally laboring it, laboring out there, um, all the way through to get that thing to you. It's always and Ridge, and Ridge does a lot of great stuff. I mean, you know, from their, their labeling, telling you what's in the bottle, um, they just, you know, their tasting room, their tasting room is made all out of sustainable material. It's made out of different kinds of hay. Yeah. It's, it's a fairly tightly run ship. And quite frankly, I'm a little bit surprised that this happened on on their watch. Oh, I you know so this is this is likely um, happening everywhere. And if I was the if I were the feds, I would pick the highest profile um, winery, the highest profile connection I can make. It made that's, news. It got that's attention. A, that's a good call, Bill. I mean, it just make that just makes sense. So you know. What what you have to think about when you read this article is so this is happening at Ridge, who's pretty clued in, you know, yeah. you know they're they're paying attention. So what's it like in people where the spotlight is on? Um, that that you know, I think that that's much more concerning. Um, you know, and Ridge didn't you know Ridge didn't uh, in this instance nobody went to court to try to like not pay this or 
right. say there was a problem. They're like, yep, we see the issue. We're fixing it. Yeah, um, and that's, uh, that's so refreshing in these days. Totally. <laughs> it totally. wasn't my fault. You're totally. lying. <laughs> totally. The other thing is is that the penalties involved are not onerous. I mean, yeah, 40, yeah. $42,000 is a lot of money, but we're talking about a fairly substantial business here. Anyway, uh, all around – a good thing um, also makes you wonder what's happening. Where are the spotlights not on? So yeah, but it'll definitely keep uh, you know. And like you said, there's there's you're not the only one that's that probably has this situation. So yeah, you just gotta drive around, man. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, look behind the tasting room. Yeah, yeah. You know, drive to some vineyards. Sad but but true. Sad, that's but yeah. True. That's the CD side of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, should we uh, move on to our? We got an update for everybody. Yes, the update on the Premier Cruise scandal. Yeah, it looks like uh, uh, the owners actually have uh, showed up and uh, they had to go to court. Yes. Uh, bankruptcy court. Yes, there's a, and uh, there's, there's some video, but it's pretty boring. There's nothing. I I clicked on that link and took the video and like. You know what's the big deal? But John, he looks—he's—he's—he's he's, he's there, and he's apparently, you know, the one thing that I got out of this, but you know, aside from the article, is like sparks fly as customers confront embattled East Bay store owner in a meeting. Well, you know, some of these people are in pretty deep, so they're probably pretty pissed. But the one thing I got out of the article, and we talked about this in the past, is many creditors—they're asking about, you know, where's his. I'll just read it. Many creditors asked about the flashy cars Fox was known to drive, but that were not reported on the bankruptcy filings. That is kind of interesting because, as I mentioned before, that guy has some pretty nice cars. I well, guess I mean, does he still have them or were they all leased? <laughs> and, no, and they've all been repoed? I mean, we don't know, right? We don't know. So I it, probably one of the most entertaining things for me when I look at this, there's a picture of, of – John and his lawyers, and the lawyers are like they have like ear to ear grins on. I know what is that? I was I was very so, strange. I mean, so clearly somebody made a joke, but I mean, it's just like I Not mean, his, his criminal attorney looks like he just swallowed the canary. <laughs> and even his bankruptcy attorney, he's got two attorneys there, and it's just like wow, this cannot be more stereotypical. Yeah, John's looking the part. He's yeah, like, I mean, John's is, and I, I'm trying to look at I, the picture's not awesome. I'm trying to, I think he might even have handcuffs on, um, but that could oh. just, he might just have a bracelet on that's silver, yeah, that because it's a side picture. But I'm just, I'm looking at this picture and I'm just like, wow, this is just really, really. So anyway, um, as as to be expected, he didn't say anything. He took the fifth. Yeah, totally. And what else is he gonna do? Yeah, don't say anything, man. I'm not. Hey, I didn't have to go to law school to tell him that. Don't say anything. Well, that's you know, you got a lawyer to help you there. Um, you know, and it, it and uh, you know who who's like first online to get all the money? Isn't it American Express? No, oh, it's going to be a big creditor. You know, it's just yeah. it's it's like you know. I think the best thing that can come out of this is like, how did it, how did it, how did it get to the, you know, seven you know, million mark, seventy million dollar mark? I mean, how did it get there without it, you know, completely collapsing? You know, and honestly, I mean, do we really want it? I mean, does the FBI need to be spending time on this? Well, you know what's what's going to be a, a drag here for all the people that are owed money. You know, I mean, there, a lot of these people aren't going to get their money. It's it's weird because there's a lot to run the operation. You know, he wasn't insuring the building. So, you know, they've had to take out insurance for the building. Uh, they got to keep it going. They got to do this investigation. They got to pay people to help them with the investigation. Remember, all this costs a lot of money and there's only $7 million to work with. So <laughs> it's going to, you know. You're getting, if you're, you're, you're lucky if you're going to get a penny on the dollar. Yeah, so it's Lucky. it's it's just gonna. The longer it goes on, it's just gonna get chewed up. Yeah. Suck it up. So, it blew up. Yeah, it's a it's a real bummer. But there's also another another article in Punch. Yeah, and uh, it goes into detail, and it goes into really good detail about um, 
And the title is How How We Got to the Premier Crew Wine Scandal. And it just talks about the whole market of uh, futures and how uh, wine futures work. And I won't bore you with the details because I think we went over once before. But the at the bottom line is, you know, it's a if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Some a lot of the people that got burned with this Premier Cruise scandal, you know, they, they fall into having fell into that hole. A simple rule of thumb. Yeah. So um, looks like we've got some legislation on the horizon uh, for people who serve wine here in California. Um, transitioning here, the um, so Southern California lawmakers trying to introduce some legislation to. Uh, I guess deliver training to alcohol servers to spot people who are intoxicated. Um, you know, trying to cut down on 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 DUI. I'm all for that. Yeah, I you know I, like build more railroads and public transportation and have them run at night so people go out and have a drink and not have to drive. That'd be very helpful, wouldn't it? That's too simple though, Bill. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I mean, yes. honestly, it, it's you know. I mean, there are definitely there are definitely people that have a problem. I think people who are in the business of serving alcohol can probably spot those people pretty quickly, and they they do have the right to refuse them. Um, I mean, I, I you know, in general, personally, in general, of just like let, yeah, I, we don't need any more legislation. Yeah, I don't think we do either, and it looks like it's going to be a little bit onerous because it's going to it's going to spread to tasting rooms and. Um, restaurants and I mean I think they already most most restaurants when you they have programs already that are in effect to help people uh, deal with recognizing people that are under the influence maybe have had too much how to cut them off how to deal with them you know that's there's there's a good history of that a lot of education in that area already and I I agree with you I think that uh, this is a, an attempt to pile on and actually I don't think it's gonna go anywhere well let's hope so and and quite frankly you know, again, this comes back to the whole millennial story. You're responsible for yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. you go in and you have um, uh, alcohol that impairs your driving. You you have the responsibility of, uh, to um, ensure that you get home safely. That means you're not driving. Or you're, um, you know, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I've known people who live in, um, like in the East Bay and might, um, you know, like live in Oakland and drive into San Francisco and might go out at night. Uh, one of the people I know like bought a breathalyzer. Um, yeah. So he'll, he'll just hang out until he's, you know, he's clean. You know, if he's over the limit, that's being responsible. That is being responsible. Yeah. It's simple, you know? Yeah. They gotta, you know, uh, to, to, to bolster their, um, their reasoning behind this bill, they cite about a man that had a history of six DUIs and uh, is in prison serving a second-degree murder um, conviction. But he was drinking at his uh, brother's bar, and uh, the brother actually, uh, the owner of the bar, he, he lost his liquor license as a result of that. Yeah, see, I, you know, that, and, I think that's... Yeah, and I, it, for me, all- you know, having, having been in the hospitality industry, you know... <sighs> How do you know he didn't go somewhere else? You know, and and or how do you know he didn't have beers in his car? I mean, you just, I, just I mean, honestly, of, if we want, if we really want to solve that problem, that person has a a problem that needs treatment. So we should be allocating, we should be ensure that that person is not in jail, but is rather getting help for their addiction because it's an addiction. Um, I, that's my opinion on it all. Um, we're, we're, you know, warehousing somebody, uh, it, it, it's just not helping anything. And then, you know, chronic DUI people, those people clearly have a problem and like, let's get them off the road and get them treated before they kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we read about this all the time in our local paper. I mean, every week there's some article about, Oh, three DUIs, four DUIs, six DUIs. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's 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 it's, too, it's way too common. Yeah, and we jail them for a couple of days and we put them back on the street. That's yeah. a good idea. You know, I, you don't want them driving anymore. It's like taking it anyway. There's plenty of other solutions, I think. 
Yeah, I, I got no more to say on that. I just I, I I I can see from from both ends, and obviously nobody wants anyone to get no. hurt. No. And uh, exactly. And and I, in more legislation is not going to solve the problem. You know, and and even even worse, making a uh, a bar or restaurant owner or a, a winery you know tasting room the parent that's not solving the problem either. Yeah, and it's certainly not uh, solving the problem by taking them, you know, taking away their livelihood. Yeah, that's <laughs> where they have to close down their restaurant or something. That's not helping out either. Not at all. Not at all. So, all right. But, so let's uh, let's a, transition to the the uh, speaking of drinking. <laughs> speaking of drinking, let's. Uh, what uh, are we drinking? I, and, and I'm not trying to joke about the last subject. Just to be clear. Um, but uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, you've, we posted an article about why you should drink Timoroso. Yeah, let's see if I can find that uh, Timoroso. Yeah, Ooh, I think I lost it, though. Oh, no worries. Let me see if I can... Um, uh, do you remember it? Oh, boy. See if I can dig it back up again. There you go. Okay, Timoroso. Do, 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 do. Come on, Al. You can do it. You can do it. I can yep. send it to you. I got it. Cool. <clears throat> there, there you go. My uh, IT uh, ineptness coming through again. Oh, not at all. <laughs> uh, so Timoroso is um, Timoroso. A lot of people probably haven't heard about it. Yeah. But well, you it, mentioned Barolo, right? So it's all from the same region. It's from Piedmont, correct? Exactly. Correct, Mundo. It's. Uh, I guess you could say it's one of the. Uh, it's uh, Barolo would be the king, and Timoroso would be the queen if you go on white and red. Um, the whole, the base of this article is kind of like one of our little, uh, things that we always talk about is if you want to drink good stuff and you don't want to spend a whole bunch of money for it, drink and look around and see what other people aren't drinking. And you'll find a lot of diamonds in the rough. And that's what Timoroso is. It's just kind of coming onto the market, starting to see a lot more of it. We saw a, a fair number of them at the, uh, Gambaro Rosso. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of it made, and there's not a whole bunch of it making it over to these shores yet. But it's on the come, as they say, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a it's a it's an indigenous white, and uh, usually they uh, usually they uh, stick it. Uh, you know, it goes through an unusual way of fermenting. Usually, they get a lot of flavors out of the skin, so typically they. Uh, they stick it in a, a vat for maybe like a couple of days, and then they start the fermentation. Uh, it's held; it's typically held in the cellar for uh, a longer period than most whites. So the ones that you see that come out are going to have a little bit more age on them. Uh, and it's it's a delicious wine. It's the ones that I've had. It's full bodied. They typically have some some pretty good alcohol to them, uh, but they're fresh and zesty. They have good acidity. And uh, it's something that you should be on the lookout for. So try some uh, Timoroso and uh, uh, dr- get out of your uh, drinking, um, with, uh, what do you call it, Bill, when you're in Com- your rut, your drinking your rut, rut? Yeah, your comfort zone. Um, yeah, try, try something different. So uh, any recommendations this week? Uh, yes, I got one. Um, I, I, as we mentioned before, we tasted a whole bunch of great wines. Yeah. And uh, – Got some notes on those, but this one is the one that I had at the house. It's uh, a 2011 Castello di Volpaia, and uh, it's got a it's a it's kind of a black and gold label, and it's got it looks like a wolf on top of uh, I don't know it looks like he's on top of six or seven tablets or something, but Volpaia means fox's lair in Italian. And Vopaya, um, uh, it's a hilltop um, walled village that's north of Rada. And um, Rada's, if you ever get, get over there, that's like probably one of a very, very cool place to visit. But it's in central Italy, um, uh, in central Tuscany, excuse me. The property was bought by uh, Raffaello uh, Stianti. He brought it back in 1966. And when his daughter, um, Giovanella, married in 1972, this, the estate was a gift to the young couple. 
So that's a pretty nice gift. That's a wedding present. So um, all the estate's vineyards are organically farmed and um, certified, and they own 114 acres in total. Essentially, uh, they own about two-thirds of this village. They essentially own most of the village. And it's, um, it's on 114 acres uh, at a, a pretty high elevation, 1,300 to um, 2,100 feet. Um, all the vineyards are planted with the southern exposure. This wine, I'm not sure, but I'm, I, I believe it's 100% Sangiovese. I didn't get a chance to do any uh, research on it. But it's, uh, it's got the biodynamic certification and all that stuff. On to the wine. Uh, the nose is, um, it's got, uh, uh, I get black plums and cherries. Uh, it has a floral aroma of lavender uh, with sage, and it's got that uh, cedar nose, that uh, cedar tobacco type nose going on. It's elegant. Uh, it's got great acidity and really good structure. Um, it's a full-bodied wine. It's 14.5% alcohol. You'd never know that. You'd never guess that. Right. You, know, you don't get anything as far as a whiff of, of, um, of hotness on the nose. On the palate, uh, it's crisp. It's got beautiful black fruit. It's real juicy. It's juicy wine, I like to say. Um, silky tannins, and it's got a nice, long, persistent finish. Sounds delicious. It's not cheap. It's 25 bucks, which is kind of on the <laughs> upper end for a Chianti Reserva. Yeah, but, it's, uh, but uh, it's well uh, it's it's well worth your finding some. It's kind of towards the end of the run, so it might be kind of hard to come by. But uh, I would highly recommend this wine. It's very true to type, and uh, it's classic um, um, high elevation Chianti Classico. Perfect, perfect. Sounds good. Uh, what do you got, Bill? Uh, you know, uh, last night we had a 13, uh, Anderson Valley Hush Pinot Noir, um, really nice bottle of wine and it's, it's 20 bucks. Um, you might even be able to find it cheaper. Uh, I, you know, I really think the Mendocino wines are, are, are really good value across the board. It's, um, uh, the Tawara, I, I, and I guess I have an affinity for the Tawara up there and the, the what, it, what it produces. But, you know, this is, uh, you know, very much um, uh, a, an excellent expression of the grapes that you get from that part of the world and from, you know, the climate there. It's got um, aroma, pomegranate, cherry, um, even some, uh, some herbs in there and a little vanilla. And then on the palate, you know, it's got really nice acidity. It's definitely, you know, um, a fairly long finish. It's got a little bit of spice to it, too. So it pairs well with, um, you know, a lot of food. So uh, we just like it. 13.5 alcohol, um, nine months in oak, 25% of it new. So, um, and you could probably find this, you could probably find this wine, Um you know, you know. Obviously, if you live in this area, you'll find it. But you can probably find it elsewhere. Um, you always probably get it from the winery. But uh, yeah, enjoyable Pinot and a super good value. How did you? Uh, how do you spell the name of the winery? H U S C H. Oh, hush. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's an interesting place to go to. That tasting room is uh, is probably yeah. one of the most unique ones around. I can bet. In Philo. Is it in Philo? So that's that's yes. you know. We drink a lot of Pinot here, so that's uh, you know, I think it's a super. It, it's an awesome bottle of wine for the for the money, my opinion. You said twenty bucks. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, that does seem uh, that seems really reasonable. Yeah, well, I think its list is probably around twenty five, but you can you can find it for that kind of money. You know, my my collection of Pinot Noir has been growing. I don't know if it's because of my association with you or not, but. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not sure Sorry. what's going on there. Sorry about that. You know, it kind of sucks because my uh, my storage vessel doesn't have a whole bunch of slots for the wider bottles, yeah, type bottle. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a little bit. It's more more designed for the Bordeaux bottles. That is definitely a first world problem. Yeah, it is. <laughs> should I should I go ahead and like put out a? Um... You should write a letter to your boss saying that you can't afford one <laughs> storage. Totally. And he should reply and say, you need to start getting out and calling more, making more exactly. calls. 
Making more I dials, just, my I was just looking at your sales reports. <laughs> yeah. Make more dials. You'll solve your problem. Um, hey, on that note, you can find us at uh, – you can always email us at info at vino101.net, on Twitter at vino101.net. Um, like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. You can post to us on any of those places. And uh, more importantly, tell a friend. Please tell a friend, everybody. And that'll, All right. that'll wrap it for this week. Cheers. Cheers, everybody. Thanks, Bill. Thank you.